Can the believer know God's will? Can the believer know, put differently, can the believer trust and know that he or she is being led by God? I think the answer, at least the second way I phrase that, is yes. Um, However, very little of the leading that we receive is leading that we recognize because you know, an invisible hand starts to write something on the wall. Has anybody had that yet? Anybody? No? None of you dwell in palaces? And Okay. Um, yeah, I haven't had that either. I, and I think I could go out on a limb here and say that probably none of you will ever see a, a disembodied hand writing something on the wall to tell you God's will. It could happen. I'm not saying it won't. just saying I'm thinking it probably won't happen. We're in Acts chapter 16. As the second missionary journey of Paul begins, he's taken Silas, as we talked about last time. You know, Barnabas and Mark split, and they went directly, well, they went south and then west, and, and they're doing the opposite. They're going north, they're going west, and they're hitting all of those, uh, those churches that they had planted on the first missionary journey, and they're checking and making sure that they're doing okay. These 10 verses are kind of a weird little section to preach on in one sense, you ha- it seems to me like when you read the book of Acts, and tell me if this doesn't resonate, that you have these kind of self-contained stories that are very good narratives, and then in between you have a lot of connecting stuff to get you from one point to another, and that's kind of what this is. It's a, it's a very much one of those, uh, you know, hodgepodge, we meet some people, we get from here to there to places you've never heard of that are hard to pronounce, and sorry, Carl, for that, but I mean, you know, it says, it's a travel itinerary. And yet, I believe that this particular passage is really, really interesting and really good for for helping us understand something that we as believers need to understand. We're not Paul. We're not Barnabas. We're not apostles. We're not going on missionary journeys. Uh, Most of us, at least at this point, are not. Um, We're very much planted, aren't we, in one place here in Great Bend. So what's to know? Yeah, what's to know? How do... Can we, can we trust that God leads us even if we're not going to these places that are so hard to pronounce? And I'd say the answer is yes. If we are seeking the Lord's kingdom, seeking it first as he tells us to seek the kingdom, then God is going to lead us. And we can be certain of that fact. And I think there's a lot in here that helps us understand how God leads his people. So that's where we're going. When we seek his kingdom, the Lord will guide us. He'll guide us while we are in motion. Paul's on the move. How did he get on the move? Do you remember? Wasn't anything miraculous. Again, no angels trumpeting, no, no handwriting on the wall, except in a figurative sense, because Paul looked at the scenario that they were in, and he said, you know what, to Barnabas, hey, Barney, uh, we need to work our way back and check out and see how those churches are doing. And, uh, of course, they had their little split there and that, and then, you know, uh, Paul and Silas take off, and they're commended by the church with its blessing. Picking up in verse 16, 1, it says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, and his father was a Greek. Paul is literally here in motion. He is retracing his steps. It's going from clockwise to counterclockwise, if you like silly ways of thinking about it like that but when the first time if you if you looked at the clock face they went south and then west and they came back around this time he's letting Barnabas go that route but he's taking the exact counterclockwise way and he's coming up through Syria and he's going across and he's hitting the same exact 
places. He's in motion. I mentioned this obvious fact um, that he's in motion because I think a lot of people don't understand how God leads and, and, and it's very confusing to them and sometimes they, they get worried like, oh, I'm, I'm not in God's will. God doesn't tend to give us itineraries. How many have ever been given an itinerary? Uh, I don't mean by God, I meant in general. Um, yeah, not to, my, my wife and I went to Alaska, you know, uh, this last year. It was our 40th, but it was actually our 42nd because of COVID, but we finally got to do our 40th anniversary cruise in Alaska. And six months ahead of time, 12 months ahead of time, I could pretty much tell you where we were going to be at what time on what day because, they, you know, the cruise lines, they give that to you. You know what restaurants you're going to be eating in and what excursion you're going to be taking and all of the rest. And that's wonderful. We all, we all want that. But God has not promised you, boys and girls, brothers and sisters, he's not promised you an itinerary. And especially if you're a young person. If you're a young person and you're struggling, you're thinking, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Um, I would recommend a little book called Just Do Something. You know, that sounds like I'm making that up. there, There really is a book by that title, so write it down. Just do something by none other than Kevin DeYoung. Thank you, Scott, for mentioning that, that I like him. He is a good writer, a uh, good, good speaker and writer, Kevin DeYoung. It's a wonderful little book, and it kind of dispels some of these, you know, we hit these high points where God speaks to prophets and so forth, and we think that, that that's how God normally operates. He doesn't usually operate that way. Most of the time, we're not good. Even in the Bible, it's rare that God tells people some sort of like itinerary, and this is what you're going to do. On, I mean, that's almost unheard of, even in Scripture. So don't expect that. Be in motion. Today, when you get ready to leave, this, by the way, this illustration worked better when there was rack and pinion, not power steering, but just go out in your car and try to turn the wheel before you turn the engine on. And uh, it's hard. It's hard. And uh, you'll all find that it's much easier to turn and guide something when it's in motion. That seems to be true, by and large, in life and in the Scripture. Paul was in motion. Secondly, resources will become clear. Resources will become clear. Up pops Timothy. Timothy's a great young man. He's a Christian, which is to say a follower of Jesus Christ. He's there. He's integrated in the local church. We presume at Lystra. He's kind of in two cities, and he says that's where Timothy's from. So you're like, well, which one did you mean? I think he means Lystra here. Um, He's the son of a Jewish mother and a Greek father. If you go to 2 Timothy, you find out his mom's name was Eunice. His mother's name was Lois. I don't know if you wanted to know that, but now you do. And uh, yeah, and a Greek father. So something about him spoke well of him. It says, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. What does that mean to be well spoken of as a young man? You kind of have to fill in the blanks and assume some stuff. Now, he's not a full-blown, ready-to-go, out-of-the-box, you know, just a carbon copy of Paul ready to go on the journey, but it must mean that he took this uh, serious, the Scriptures, that he knew the Scriptures, which, of course, Paul says later in his letter to Timothy, um, that he's well acquainted with the Scriptures. He's probably a man of character. Young though he may be, he must have proven himself in various ways, and so he's well spoken of, and and Paul looks at him there, and I think he sees the polar opposite of John Mark. 
And I, ah, I was glad to get rid of that guy. But this guy, this Timothy guy, now there's a guy. <laughs> there's a guy that I think I can put some, uh, some of my effort into. And it says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. There are times when the text will say things like the Holy Spirit said or the Holy Spirit stopped them from doing this or that. But what's happening here in the ongoing will of God? Does Paul get a message from heaven on this? No. He comes to Lystra, and there's this strapping young lad. And, uh, I mean, he might have been a weakling for all I know. But he, uh, a promising young man uh, with all of these gifts and so forth. And Paul looks at him and thinks, that's a guy I want on my team. And, and that is within how God leads us. Things like that are totally part of that. And I'm really so glad what, about what Kat said when she was talking about Vacation Bible School because um, the, the truth of the matter is you have your local church, you have ministries available to you, we have resources here, resources of, of ministry opportunities, and we have resources, and I'm looking at them. Timothy, <laughs> or Timothina, or whatever your name may be. Um, God, ha you are a resource unto the kingdom of God. You're part of that. You're part of the body. You're part of that which we have been told receives gifts from the Holy Spirit in order to build up the whole. So that doesn't require God trumpeting something in your sleep or sending an angel to announce it to you. These things are there. So, so jump in and get involved in stuff like Vacation Bible School or, or whatever it might be as those things match up. Make sense? Okay. Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Timothy had been just sitting around doing nothing the whole time before Paul got there. How many think that's true? Sitting around doing nothing? I don't think he was. I don't think he would have been well spoken of if he had just been twiddling his thumbs. I think... What little we could even piece together here, I'm thinking he's there at Lystra, he's at a church which is a minority community in that area, they were probably still being persecuted at this point, and so he is committed, he is serving, he is growing in Christ, and people can see that in him. In preparing for the message a couple messages back when we were in chapter 14, I remembered this as I was looking at this today, um, and I had to go back to, to check and make sure I was correct, but Lystra, Lystra was not the big city lights uh, kind of a place. Lystra was a backwater it was. They said of Lystra that it was kind of a small backwater and that the people there were not well educated. In other words, this, this was Appalachia. This was like moonshine-making, hound dog on the porch kind of a place. And that's where Timothy came from. Now, can anything good come from there? How, how you know? Maybe you sit here and you go, man, I'm, I'm stuck in Great Ben. If you're a young person, almost certainly you're thinking that if you grew up here. How many young people feel like you're stuck? And no, no, I don't want to see those hands. But you may sit there and think, my goodness, how can God do anything with me coming from a little tiny place like Great Bend? And uh, the truth of the matter is it really doesn't matter, does it? 
you are to bloom where you are planted. If you're here growing up in Great Bend, hallelujah. The, you know, God spared you from a lot of stuff. And, uh, and if you got a hound dog on the porch, that's you know, so much the better. Uh, and, but, but grow in Christ now. Grow, you, you have the opportunity here in Great Bend, in our church, to grow. So do that. Do that wherever you're at, however old you are. Consider what you want. Consider what you want. Now, this is going to sound controversial at first. Um, I, there are cliches in Christendom that bother me. Um, how many love cliches? You just, that's why the word has that positive connotation to it. <laughs> it's like they're like memes, right? Oh, I'm, no, I don't, I'm always dogging on memes. But no, cliches are pithy little aphorisms, and they uh, are true. I don't know, what, 80% of the time maybe? Uh, and, and, and then they get overused, and uh, so they're both not true in all circumstances, and you get tired of hearing them. Uh, one of those is like, don't trust your heart. How many have heard that? Like, you can't trust your heart as a Christian. And that's kind of a, that was sort of a reaction against earlier cliches like, just listen to your heart. Um, okay, we know the heart is desperately wicked above all things, and and. and so that there is a way in which our heart can deceive us. That is very much true. Even though we are in Christ and we have the Holy Spirit living us in us in a new nature, the old flesh is still there. Paul could say, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my sinful flesh. However, that does not mean that listening to what our heart wants is altogether a futile exercise. In fact... God, among the redeemed, can use our wants and our desires as a way, part of the way he leads us. You're like, heresy! He's preaching heresy! 1 Timothy 3.1. This is what Paul says of those that want to be an elder. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So what does that tell you right off the bat? If you want to find people to be elders in your church, the first thing you need to find out is, do they want to be one? And you think, well, that's really, yeah, obviously. It's not obvious. I've been in church work a long time, and I, I remember, you know, a way of looking at elders where it was like, you just got to get a body in there. You just got to get a warm body in there. And so you're going around literally trying to twist people's arm. Hey, would you want to be an elder? No? Well, think about it. Pray about it. I'll call you and bug you tomorrow about it to get you on. I don't do that. I do not twist. The, the calling of elder, to me, biblically speaking, is a very, very high calling with loads of responsibility attached and lots of work and pain. And, and you're going to give an answer to Almighty God for how you've done the work. You want people who want that. So if God has placed that desire within you, you, you should act on that. And that's one of the ways. I'm not saying it's the only way. But like, what would you say to, if a young man came to you and said, hey, I think I'm going to marry Sally. Well, you sound thrilled about it. Yeah. I came up with a list of pros and cons. I think she's the one. Well, how do you feel about her? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, hey, live long and prosper there, Spock, but... I don't think Sally is free. I think Sally deserves someone that goes, ooh, Sally, right? I mean, you, they, they ought to, if you want a successful marriage, there better be some desire there at the beginning. That's going to have to hold you a while. So just, I'm just saying. 
So listen to your heart in that sense. If you strongly desire a, a kind of ministry to be involved in, in particular, I think you should explore that. doesn't mean that's the only thing that you look at, but it is one of the things you look at and, uh, and go from there. Okay, adjustments may have to be made. That seems pretty obvious, but it needs saying. Timothy was a, a great candidate for Paul's team with one minor exception, one sticking point, um, and that is that he was half Greek, and therefore he had not been circumcised. And this would be kind of a non-starter, don't pass go, don't collect $200 kind of thing for the Jewish people that they were going to be ministering to. Jewish people looked at somebody like Timothy kind of the way a wizard looks at um, half-bloods, you know, if you're in the Harry Potter lore kind of thing. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, for those that don't know anything about Harry Potter, you know, there's the wizards and then there's the muggles, which are all of us normal non-wizard people. But if you get two of those people marrying, then you end up with what they call a half-blood. So it's neither this nor that, and they really didn't like those people. Yeah, they were really anti. Well, that's what was kind of going on here. They did, they, it was not going to go over well with the Jewish people. Paul had just fought this. This is what's so ironic about this passage, or maybe we'll say paradoxical about this passage. Paul had fought so hard against this forcing the Gentiles to be circumcised, hadn't he? How many were scratching their head today going, he did what? Because he just fought that whole battle. He went to Jerusalem. He argued vociferously that, that the Gentiles should not be subjected to being circumcised in order to be saved. And the Jerusalem council reaches a unanimous decision and they send that back to, back to Antioch. And Paul's been sent even now to bear this message as he goes. And Timothy hasn't been circumcised. So without further ado, Paul just circumcises him because of the Jews. The fact is, Timothy would have been a stumbling block to the Jewish audience that Paul was trying to reach. And so not, not for anything related to, to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone, but solely because Paul wanted to have no hindrance to the gospel, he went ahead and circumcised him. And I know that seems like a, a paradox, but Paul was ready to make that adjustment. As a principle of knowing God's will, I think it is helpful that we understand that knowing the Lord's will does not mean that we can recognize it because everything is smooth sailing. How many have that idea of, of God's will? Well, I'll know God's will because all of a sudden the wind's going to be at my back. And, and, and it's a little sunshine and just those little puffy clouds and a nice, and I'm just going to be making time the whole way. How many, how many think of knowing God's will that way? All right, good. Nobody said, I do, I do. But I think in our hearts we do kind of feel that way. We, we, we start down a path and we hit a blockade and we go, oh, well, that can't be God's will. Oh, I hit a hardship. Well, it's supposed to be easy. It's not that way. You know, recently... We just had a mission team meeting the other day, and we were talking about our missionaries. We were talking about people we knew with other mission agencies and so forth. Do you realize how volatile and topsy-turvy the mission world is today? I mean, you've got people who, who were going to go to Russia, who, who learned Russian for a year, and now they're not going to Russia. 
you know, because of the Ukraine thing. And, and COVID, we've got people that have been back at home for three years that were supposed to have gone back to the mission field two years ago. And you look at those situations and you put yourself in that kind of position and what would you be thinking? God, your will is supposed to be smooth sailing. Why is it so hard? Because it is. And adjustments have to be made. And that's not, so it doesn't mean you're in a bad place just because you're having to adjust. Just assume that there's going to be adjustments along the way. You need the body of Christ, the church. You need the body of Christ, the church. Knowing God's will is not a one-man show. And I know I'm wearing this out, and I've said it many times, but Paul himself, the great apostle, was not an uh, um, an autocrat. He was not somebody just on, on, on autopilot unto himself doing what he thought was right with, and it didn't matter what anyone else thought. Look what it says. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So everything that Paul did was for the church, from the church to the church. I mean, you just put any preposition in there you want and pretty much it'll work out because Paul is completely bathed in, in the church within his mission. He's bearing the decision of the church at Jerusalem. Where's he being sent from? The church at Antioch. Where's he going to? Where does it say he's going to? The churches, strengthening the churches with what the church has decided. It's all very much connected with that. We need the church as part of how we know God's will. Bottom line, you should not be making huge major decisions about ministry. I'm not talking about what color socks you wear today. Don't call the church for that. But when it comes to understanding your place in ministry and these sorts of things, you need to hear what the body of Christ is saying to you. If you look at how many heard about the whole Mars Hill thing the big blow up out there. Did anybody listen to the podcast this year that was so popular about Mars Hill, the rise and fall of Mars Hill? Any of you? Okay, all right. Well, this is kind of, I guess, an inside baseball story. Uh, but it was this huge mega church out in Seattle, gigantic. I want to say it was like 50,000 50, or so. It's crazy the size. I'm looking, looking over thinking Matt knows that off the top. It's, it's huge, okay? Multiple campuses, but just gigantic. And in the autopsy of this church that just imploded, the one thing that I think most people looking at it will agree on is that it was too centered on one man, Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll started it, ended it. I mean, yeah, did he have other people around him? Sure. Did he listen to any of them? No. <laughs> no, he did not. He was part of the uh, Acts 29 church network, which is, I mean, he, he didn't really found it, but he was in, in at the, near the beginning of it and uh, influenced it, but they, they left him go on his own, and he left it behind, and he just made his own autocratic decisions, and at the end of the day, that church just fell apart. We need other Christians. We need the church. Now, if a church is slipping into heresy, and you're the only one in the church who's holding a biblical line, by all means, you can be Daniel in that scenario. I'm not saying there's never a chance for a Christian to have to stand alone. But I'm saying all things being equal, if you are in a biblical church, you should not be making all these decisions on your own. You need the body of Christ around you giving you input. So when we're talking about 
listening to your desire, okay. You might desire to be a soloist on Sunday morning. Our ears might have a different opinion of that, okay? I'm just saying, there's, the, we, there's a little balance thing that's happening there. Next, recognize the preventive will of God. Uh, the preventive, that's pretty self-explanatory. I don't know if anybody else has used that term or if I'm coining it, but it seems like it makes sense to me. The preventive will of God. That is to say, um, they, they, they were going one way and God stopped them. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I, well, I know I've told you. I just don't know if you'd ever remember it. But um, when I was in seminary, when, in fact, when I went to seminary, we thought we were going back to Germany when we were done with seminary. And it was a long story, but I thought missions and that that's where we were going to go. It was just like almost a foregone conclusion. And then we were just finishing seminary and we're applying to the free church's mission. And they looked at us and they went, no, no, no. Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, it's just like a, a door closed right in our face. I would call that the preventive will of God. And God used that in my life to, to, to get me where he's got me now. But um, look at a Bible map in your, when you get a chance, not right this second, but look at a Bible map and look at where Paul was at, where he was going, and where he was prevented from going. It's like he wanted to, he wanted to go westward, but he first he wanted to go south, and God's like, nope, not going to let you go south. And you know the Spirit of the Lord prevents him, and then he's like, ah, I think I'm going to go north. And God's like, nope. And he's just funneling them straight west. It's like if you wanted to go out west and you thought, ah, oh, I'm going to go down through liberal and through the panhandle and maybe go out, see New Mexico, get out there further, see the Grand Canyon. And you get, to, you get to Oklahoma and there's a big sign saying, you know, abandon hope all ye who enter here. You know, turn back, your life depends upon it. Actually, I think that sign does exist at the border of Oklahoma. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. But then you say, okay, well, I'll go up to Nebraska and I'll cut over on, on I-80. And you get to Nebraska, same exact sign, right? And, and, and it just funnels you back to boring old I-70. That's, that's what's happening in this text. Different geography, different time. Look at what it says. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That was south of them. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. By the way, Asia there, not China. We're not talking about China. This would be the equivalent of uh, Asia Minor, as the Romans referred to it. This would be the um, Asian portion of modern-day Turkey, where the seven churches of Revelation are. But yeah, he wasn't allowed to go there. Paul wanted to go there. He wanted to go up into Bithynia. The Spirit blocked him. This is the, what I would call the preventive will of God, where God, you know, we, we've been listening to our heart, what we want, the church, the mission, all these different factors, opportunities, and you go, okay, and then God says, nope, you're not going there, and that's the end of it. It's a big, big door slams right in your face. How many have ever had that uh, help from God on a thing or two along the way? Who's thankful for a slam door every now and again? Yeah. Now, I need to add a word of caution here because there, there is a difference between sort of the preventive will of God and adjustments that have to be made, which we just talked about. Those are very similar concepts, aren't they? So what if Paul had gotten there to Lystra and he'd seen, oh, here's this shiny, brightly minted coin called Timothy, ready to be spent for the gospel, and then Timothy says, oh, just I got this one little problem. I'm not circumcised. What if Paul had said, oh, my goodness, 
Well, God's clearly, clearly shutting that door. You know, he could have looked at it that way. Well, that's just an impediment I don't want to have to deal with. Sorry, man, wish it were different, but I'm just going to go on. He could have taken it that way. But Paul goes, you know what? I just happen to have a, a nice flint knife that I carry for just this occasion. <laughs> Yay, right? I get to be a missionary. Um, and, it, and it was dealt with. So, I get, so the point I'm trying to make is, there's a difference between a hurdle and a blockade. A hurdle, you take in stride. Some of us do that way, I got short legs, uh, some of you do that way better than I do, but like a hurdle, you take in stride. A blockade, that's gonna at least make you stop temporarily, if not completely, depending, correct? So that's, that's some of what we weigh when we look at, at, at deciding these things. And then finally, look for God's direction, which sounds like, isn't that what we've been talking about the whole time? Can God just flat out tell you in a dream that you should do this or that or the other thing? I'm going to go with yes, God can do that. He gets to Troas. Troas is literally at the port, uh, you know, he's got the ocean to his back. He didn't bring Moses' staff with him, so he's just stuck there. He hasn't been able to go north, south. He doesn't want to go back the way he's come. I think if nothing else had happened, I think Paul would have logically said, you know what, guys, looking at the situation, let's just take the next ship. I, I fully believe that that's what Paul would have done. However, in the night, he has a dream. It says, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Well, a vision or a dream, a, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had, had seen the vis, vision, man, I can read here some. Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is pretty clear, right? The, the, I think any of us could get that, that kind of a thing. Give me a vision, give me a dream. Make, just spell it out. Paul sees this guy with a Macedonian Jayhawks t-shirt on, and he's like, okay, he must be from Macedonia. I don't know how he knew it. He, you know how you just know things. Um, maybe that's it, or maybe he had an accent, but at any rate, he knows the guy's from Macedonia, and the guy says, man, come and help us. Do you, isn't it notice that, uh, interesting that he, that he doesn't say to Paul, come preach the gospel to us? See, a lot of times, unbelievers don't know what they need. They just, they just know they need help. So they're crying out for help. And Paul and Luke writing this says, so we concluded <laughs> they need help. We'll go preach the gospel to them. We'll go preach the gospel. Can God still do that? Still speak to a person in a vision or a dream? Yeah. Yeah, abs I mean, absolutely. Is it going to happen very often? I would guess no is the answer to that part. Uh, how many times did it happen to Paul? I mean, he had a vision twice at least, only once that it says it was giving him any sense of where he was supposed to go or what he was supposed to do. What about um, Peter? How many times did Peter have a vision telling him where he was supposed to go? Once, right? Sorry, one to a customer. That's probably, it's probably not enough to, for us to actually know that, that it's one to a customer, or, and we're not apostles. I, you know, in my life, I don't know how it is for you, in my life, I've had a couple times in my life where I've had a dream that I thought kind of spoke to me, and I just went, okay, hmm, and they were sort of confirming. I'm not swearing that I know that God gave me those dreams. I'm not, I'm not saying he didn't. They were just, they were, they were kind of helpful, but I will tell you this. When I was young, and this is where you can 
really step off the deep end if you're not careful. When I was young, I thought that's how God was supposed to talk to me. Anybody here feel that way at some point in a more immature time in your life? And you're like, oh, I gotta know God's will. I'm gonna have to fast for a week and pray. And, and, and I can remember being in that scenario going, God, give it to me in a dream. You know, just, I'm gonna go to sleep tonight, I'm listening. Tell me what you want. And you just had a bunch of stupid dreams and you woke up the next day not remembering any of them. And you're like, God, what's wrong here? I'm asking you for a dream. I'm asking you to lead me and guide me. Why won't you do it? And, uh, and God never responded when I sort of demanded how he speak to me. And nowhere in here will you find Paul going, okay, we're at Troas. I'm desperate. All right, everybody go to sleep. We gotta get a dream. It just, it, it does not work that way. The key is we seek his kingdom. Paul was seeking the kingdom and he was trusting God to guide him. And you know what? There was no difference between God leading him by that sense of wanting to go or wanting to take Timothy than, it, than the dream. And that's where we make our mistake. We go, oh, you wanted to do that? Yeah, that was probably just you. Oh, God gave you a dream. Well, that was from God. No, God's leading him at every step along the way through all of these different ways. And that's, that's the promise, I believe, to us as believers. We know that you trust in the Lord with all your heart. You don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, you acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. That's a promise that he's leading you. Not that you know it all ahead of time, or not that it has to be supernatural in a way that we go, oh, wow, I saw a disembodied hand write it, it must be true. God promised, and we as Christians, we, just, we need to trust that and understand that. If you're hearing this message today, uh, and you're not a believer, it could be that you are stuck in Troas, and God has been pushing you. And you tried to go one place, and God said, nope. And you tried to go another way, and God said, no. Or maybe you're like the guy in Macedonia, and you're just crying out for help because you, you're in a desperate place, and, and you probably don't know what you need. You're just like, oh, my life is a mess. Maybe it's addiction, or maybe it's uh, bad decisions and, 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 and the outcome of those bad decisions, or it's a rough love, love life, somebody's left you, and you're just broken, and you're crying out, and you're saying, God, help me, help me, God, and, and, and we have help for you, but the, but the answer isn't maybe what you're, what you're thinking the answer is going to be, because what you need is you need the gospel. You need, your problem at the core is not all the things that you see. Those are just results. The problem is sin. And that sin separates you from a holy God. But God in love, being a holy and loving God, sent Jesus Christ into the world to die for sinners like you and me. And he commanded us to go and preach the gospel. If you want to know the will of God, the, the Bible says that, it, that, that God commands all men everywhere to repent. That's what you need to do. You need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Trust in him. And you will be saved. And that will be the will of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word, even in, um, in between passages of, of, uh, of a travel itinerary, we can, we can glean so much that, that you have put there, and we thank you for it. 
We pray, Lord, that as believers we can trust you, that we just, that we commit ourselves to that. Lord, help us to really be like Paul was, seeking the kingdom, even if, even if we're not missionaries, Lord, and we're just stuck in, in a little backwater called Great Bend, Kansas. That we, we pray, Lord, that here and now we might bloom right where you've planted us and that seeking your kingdom here, we might experience your leading in our life day in and, and day out and that we might just be able to rest in that. Father, I do pray that, that the word of the gospel might fall on a receptive heart somewhere today, that someone that's hearing this, Lord, that they would see that the help they really need isn't the help that they think they need, but that they need salvation. They need to come to Christ and receive eternal life. And I pray that seeing that, recognizing it, that they would, uh, that they would trust you for that and, and turn to Christ now and be saved. In his name, amen.